We're going to look at verse number 31 of Nehemiah chapter 3, looking at our final gate, the final gate. And uh, you can tell why this is the final gate. It is really the final thing for all of us, what this gate represents. And so that'll be quite interesting to look at today. But verse 31, it says, After him uh, repaired Malchiah, the goldsmith's son, unto the place of the Nethamins and the merchants over against the gate Mifkad, and the going up, and to the going up of the corner. So Mifkad is just basically a transliteration of the original Hebrew word here. Uh, some other translation, uh, trans, uh, translations of the Bible have thrown other words in there. Uh, the King James translators thought it best just to, trans, to transliterate. Uh, transliterating means that you take a word, you don't necessarily change the sound of it, you just bring it into an English pronunciation. So like baptizo is baptism. And so it never existed before the Bible is translated into the English language. And you see several words like that. And that's why I always say our Bible, as special as it is, actually formed much of the English language as it was being put together. And so it's a very special, special Bible. Amen. And so the gate, Mifkat, our final gate, the 10th gate, uh, basically means the appointed place. I don't know if you've seen it on businesses, uh, you know, you drive by, you see these big businesses in the, in the uh, parking lot, you'll see a little sign there saying muster, muster place or muster, uh, what's the word, uh, muster point, right? Or what is it? Yeah. And, and what that really, this is exactly what it's saying. The Mifgad gate is the muster gate. It's where they're ga- they gather together for inspection. And this gate here was uh, originally not in Jerusalem proper. It was actually connected to the palace of David. And so when David actually numbered the people, remember he was disobedient, uh, he numbered it through this gate. And he got the people to come in and they, they counted them through this gate, Mifkad, the muster gate. And we know that wasn't God's will. We know because of that, God sent an angel to destroy. And it was, uh, of course, we know at that time when David was in power, there was no temple. Uh, his son was going to build the temple. And so that angel destroyed until it got to that particular place, uh, the, the threshing floor of Arona. And that, of course, is where the temple was built when Solomon came into power. That's also the same place that Abraham sacrificed or was going to sacrifice his son. And so it was there that David built an altar and stayed the hand of judgment of that angel against Israel. Uh, through the offering of that altar and the purchasing of that, that, that place, the Arona th- threshing floor. And if you look, I think it's 2 Chronicles chapter 3, it actually says very plainly that Solomon built the temple on the threshing floor of Arona. You know? So that was purchased through a time of judgment and a time of uh, forgiveness and, and the altar being built in that particular spot. And so that's why today it's, it's quite a, an affront on, on Israel that a mosque is in that position. Uh, it's always meant for the temple. It was meant for the altar of the Lord, you know? And so, but that's just how Satan is working in these days that we live in. And so, you, of course, you've heard uh, a lot of the war going on now in Israel. Uh, you know, you got to remember Psalm, I think it's 83 or 82, I forget which one right now, talks about a war that's going to happen before the tribulation, where the nations surrounding Israel are going to attack Israel. And this just may be that fulfillment of that particular war. And uh, as you look in that psalm, it's not fulfilled in any other way yet. So that's still a future event to take place. 
And then, of course, we know after that we have another war that's coming, and that's the um, Gog and Magog. And that's in the first three and a half years of the tribulation time. And that's going to be a terrible war as well. Uh, but then, of course, there's going to be another war after that, and that's going to be Armageddon. But the Lord will shut that, that down pretty quick when he comes. And then the final war is going to be Gog and Magog, but it's going to be a different one at the end of the thousand-year reign where all the nations of the earth, all the rebels, after Satan is loose for a short season, he will deceive them and they'll turn against Christ as he's ruling in Jerusalem. What fools, amen? But that is what the world is, is just foolishness, thinking they're going to win against the Lord, you know? These people that are ruling today thinking somehow they're going to get away with this. Uh, no, the Lord will, will deal with it. Amen. And so this particular place is a place of, of mustering the troops, mustering the people, getting, getting a count. Actually, the word uh, has, a, has a, a meaning to it of numbering as well. And so it's a time of numbering. It's a time of accounting. And so you can imagine what that means for us as believers, you know. You can, of course, relate this uh, place to several different judgments. And we know there's five ma major judgments that, that are going to take place or that have taken place. The one is the judgment of the cross. That is all sin was dealt with on Jesus Christ on the cross 2,000 years ago. If you have trusted that sacrifice, then this judgment of sin has been dealt with for you. You will never have to be concerned about judgment for sin because the Bible says for the wages of sin is death. And so if you were to be judged for the minutest of your sins, you would have to go to hell forever. It's not, but people today, they think of big ones, little ones. It's not the big ones or little ones. It's any sin that would send you to hell. And that's why Jesus had to die. He dealt with all the sin 2,000 years ago. And so if we trust in what he did, that payment has been applied to our life. We never have to worry ever again about being judged for sin. But what we can be concerned about is the next judgment that's called self-judgment. Because Christ is in us and our conscience has been purged and we have an understanding of the scripture because now we can become spiritual, he's given us the ability to do inter, uh, interpersonal judging in our hearts. Uh, you can now judge yourself. You couldn't do that before. You didn't have the capacity. But now through the word of God and through the Holy Spirit within you, you can actually judge yourself. And the Bible says if you judge yourself, you will not be judged. And so basically, he's giving you this opportunity to prepare yourself for the next judgment, which is the third one, and that is the judgment seat of Christ. So how you fare in this dispensation in your self-judgment has a lot to do with how you're going to fare at the judgment seat of Christ. If you're not judging yourself, you're not uh, taking seriously the issues in your life, now you say, oh, I thought sin was dealt with. Yeah, well, sin is dealt with. But you got to remember, if you have practical sin in your life, it's going to affect your service to Christ. Yeah. It's going to affect your love for Christ. All those criterias that the judgment seat of Christ is dealing with, the works that are done in your body, you're not going to do what God asks you to do because of the practical sin. So you're not being judged for the sin, but you're being judged for the work that you've, that you've produced that the Lord wanted you to do because you've dealt with the practical aspect of sin in your soul progressively throughout your life. Amen? And so that's very important to understand that. So when we stand before Christ one day, that's a judgment of works for reward. For reward. And so you have this uh, possibility of being rewarded, being drawn together, gathered together at this gate where he's going to number an account of your life where he's going to say, you know what, you've been faithful. 
And so you see that city over there, or those 10 cities, I'm putting them within your charge. Because you've been faithful with little, uh, then I'm going to give you much to be faithful with. Amen? And so that's, what the, that's how the Lord does it. And you can see throughout the New Testament, he gives us time and time again the example of how that he is going to require stewardship from his people. And as, and as good as a steward you are is going to be the basis of your reward for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And so that's pretty, pretty important. And the Bible says that you suffer with him, you will reign with him. So if you, don't, if you want to serve conveniently, don't expect to reign. Don't expect to rule. Don't expect that position with the Lord if you want to just go through and float through the Christian life. But if you're willing to suffer for Christ's sake, and you're willing to take on yourself that persecution because of the spreading abroad of your faith and you're, you're giving out the gospel, the Bible says that he will have you reign with him. That's very important to understand that. And so that's all the basis of the judgment seat of Christ. The fourth judgment that's going to happen is the judgment of the nations. And this is going to happen seven years after the rapture. We're already going to be judged in heaven before the throne of God. We can see that by Revelation chapter, I believe it's uh, chapter 5, where the four and twenty elders are casting their crowns at the feet of Jesus. That means they've already been rewarded. That's before the tribulation begun. Amen. And so the rewards have been distributed. They, they threw the crowns at the Lord's feet. And seven years later, Jesus Christ comes down to earth in a visible fashion as lightning from the east to the west, and his saints will follow behind him. Amen? And the Bible says on his head will be many crowns. And I wonder what that is. Maybe that's representative of the crowns that you earned for the Lord Jesus Christ and you placed back at his feet. And so he honored that by wearing them as he came down and, and defeated evil on this earth. Amen. And so that judgment of the nations is following right after Jesus Christ sets his foot upon this earth. He's going to gather the nations together. He's going to muster them. Amen. There's going to be a muster point. And he's going to judge them based upon the criteria of how they treated his people. We need to understand that. Say, well, aren't they, aren't they um, judged upon their salvation criteria? Folks, the Bible says that if you're truly a child of God, you're going to treat the children of God right. Yeah. If you're not treating the children of God right, I don't trust your salvation. Amen. And so basically, what's coming to fruition here from Genesis chapter 12 is all the criteria of that covenant are coming in one fail swoop when Jesus Christ returns. Blessed are they that bless you, and cursed are they that curse you. And so he gathers all the nations together. Did you curse them or bless them? And he's talking about the 144,000 witnesses, 12,000 from each tribe that are going to be out there giving out the, the gospel of the kingdom for three and a half years and ending in martyrdom, but spending time in prison and giving an opportunity for the people of the nations to help them, to clothe them, to feed them, to offer them things, to, to, to be there for them. And the Lord takes note of that. There's something different about you. You have been transformed. There's something different in your heart because there's a high price for helping one of these 144,000, amen? Yet these did it. And then they said, you know, why, why, why are we worthy of this? And, you know, when did we ever clothe you, Jesus? And when did we ever feed you? He says, that which you've done for the least of these, my brethren, you have done unto me, amen? Wow, that's a powerful thing. But I'll tell you something, that judgment, the criteria is going to be based upon the treatment of God's people, Israel. Wow. 
Because the church is gone, by the way. So <laughs> you understand that. And so there's going to be a transformation in hearts as they hear the message of these witnesses that are going to be powerful and bold witnesses and, and giving their lives unto death for Christ. And those 144,000 will become Jesus Christ's personal entourage, his personal guard because of what they've done for him. Amen. And they will rule and reign as well for a thousand years, the Bible says, alongside the church, alongside us that have been faithful. Amen. So I'll tell you something, we've got, some, uh, we've got a real high uh, uh, point to aim at here when you look at standing beside these men that are giving their life for the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we're going to rule beside them, we're going to rule alongside these, these wonderful martyrs, amen? I'm sure we're not, I sure hope we're not half-hearted Christians today. That's the criteria the Lord's looking at. You suffer with me, you'll reign with me. That's what he says, amen? So that's the fourth judgment. Now we know there's one final judgment, and that's the great white throne. That great white throne is a result of rejecting the first judgment. If you don't receive the judgment of the cross, you will face the great white throne judgment. And so that is just where it's at, amen? And so Christ saves us from that. The wrath to come. The judgment to come. We're saved from that when we receive Christ as our Savior. So we see those five muster places, amen? Uh, and I believe all of them, even, even here right now, we are mustered before our Lord in the local church. Yes. Mustered. <laughs> we're gathered. We're assembled. We're assembled together before the Lord to be numbered and to be held accountable to the things of God. And that's why it's so important to be in the local church. Folks, you got to be careful. You leave the local church. Can you imagine when Jesus Christ comes and says, you left my, my Mifcad gate? You left me high and dry when I was numbering you, when I was accounting your life? There must be a reason for that. You didn't want my eyes to meet yours. You're hiding from me. Amen. Oh, Lord, help us from ever being in that position. Folks, you need to make a decision today that you will never forsake the house of God. I understand if you're moving to a different country, go find a church that's like ours and be a part of it with all your heart. But you know, the fact of the matter is if God has you here, be careful of this church hopping business. Anybody I've ever seen do that really has not been successful. And we've got to stop doing stuff like that. Amen? We've got to choose where God wants us to be. We've got to know where God wants us to be based upon our relationship with Him and give ourselves wholly to God's plan for our lives. Amen? Anyways, so we're talking about God's inspection. So I already talked about this. I'm going to move quickly through these points. The past Mifkat of the cross. This is a gate motivated by love and goodness because the Lord loves you. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Though God's holiness is met in the, in the death of Christ, his love is also demonstrated in the death of Christ as well. Amen. So this is a, a gate that you have to face. This is an inspection point. This is something that he's saying, I need to see, I need to number you in that group that has received Christ as their Savior. That group of the cross. Amen? Oh, there's no way to get past that. There's going to be nobody crawling over the walls of the Pilgrim's Progress. You have those people that are trying to get to the celestial city and they thought, I'll take a shortcut and I'll hop over the wall. Never turned out well for them, did it? But Christian... He went through the right gate and he, fed, he, he hit the right trials and he passed the trials and he, and he fought the lions and he fought the evil things and the dragons and the different things that, that kept him from moving forward and he by faith continued and passed the test. 
And one day he went into Celestial City. Amen? Good book, by the way. I hope you'll read it. This gate is marked by loss and gain. We know the future judgment will be a judgment of loss. Anytime we meet God there must be loss and gain. Think about this. Every time you meet God, there's loss and gain. You can either gain or you can lose. Amen. So today, you're going to make a decision to gain or to lose. Every time you meet with God, it's to gain or to lose. And so we need to make sure that when he gathers us together and brings us to that gate, we're ready to gain because we've got the right heart for him. Galatians 6, 14 says, But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Yeah. Folks, I know there's Christians that, that perhaps have gotten saved, and I know there's mentalities out there, the free grace movement. They say, hey, you can live like the devil, you're still saved, and so forth. And I'm not here to judge any person's salvation, but folks, I got real questions with people that do not live for the Lord, do not care about the Lord, do not care about the Word of God, and yet they call themselves a born-again believer. Folks, I, I am not... I am not compelled to believe them. And you can't compel me to do that. I will let God judge them, but I will not be compelled to believe that you're saved if you're living like the devil. I believe there's a change in the heart of the individual. That's what happened in my life. That's what happened with anybody else that I've seen get genuinely saved. There's a complete change, and it may take some time, but it's a change that takes place. But never is there ever a time where the children of God are living for the devil and not under the conviction of God. I believe that those of us that are saved, we, we glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me. Boy, that day when he died, he, he made a, a very distinct line between evil and good, between the world and heaven. Amen? And I think we got to take that seriously. Christ lost his life but we lost our lives to the world through the cross. We did. It's sad when we're trying to hold on to our worldly life. We ought to lose our life too. If he left his life for you, you ought to leave his life for him. But I know there's ways that Christians can hold on to their lives. They're afraid and they, they don't want to pay the price and so forth. We know there'll be loss. But folks, if you want to gain with the Lord, you got to take seriously what happened on that cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago. I'm going to move on quickly here. There's so many things we gain. We gain, uh, I'm not even going to go through this, but reconciliation. We gain a relationship with God. We, we gain positional righteousness. You, you gain the, the uh, potential for practical righteousness. That righteousness from heaven can actually fill you up and can flow through you if you allow him to. Amen. But there are some Christians that won't. They, they block it out. Their, their bitterness, their anger, whatever, their sin. And you don't see that practical righteousness expressed. And I'll tell you something. I, you may be saved, and I'm not judging that. But I'm not compelled to believe you're saved until you show me the righteousness that was imputed to you the moment you got saved. Yeah. Because talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. A lot of people have learned how to talk the talk. They've been in churches. They know exactly what to say. But I'm sorry, when you meet God, that's not what it's about. Yeah. It's about an inner transformation of the heart when you saw Christ for that first time. Amen? So we need that. Uh, number two, we have, the past, we have the past mifcat of the cross, but we got the present mifcat of chastisement. You know there's a daily inspection God makes in your life? He calls you out every day. 
He calls you at the church. He calls you personally every morning. He, he's inspecting you all the time. You're under constant inspection. But, you know, he gives you an opportunity. He gives you an opportunity to be a part of the inspection. He says, hey, I want, I want you as a, as a good son to inspect yourself. So he doesn't just come and whack you over the head. Some of us take that as a sign of weakness or that God somehow doesn't care or that he's winking at sin. No, that's not it at all. He's just giving you an opportunity before he chastises you to begin to judge yourself. And that's a present mythcad that all of us have to face every day. That present gathering, that present mustering before our God. We meet him every day at the gate in this daily life. We are positionally saved but now he wants to save our lives on earth that we can have an abundant life. He, he, the Bible says he came so that we could have life and life more abundant. So do you just have life? Do you have eternal life? Is that, is that all you want? He says, I got something far more for you. I have a life that's abundant life for you. If you'll just inspect yourself, you just deal with the sin of your life, Go to the church and hear the preaching of the Word of God. Oh, folks, it's an amazing thing how the Holy Spirit of God, and don't give me credit for it, has nothing to do with me. I'm just a dummy. But I'll tell you something. When I preach the Word of God, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit of God will use that to do a work in people's hearts. And I can't take one iota of credit for it. I really can't. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. Without Him working, it, it would be just let's have a soccer meeting. I learn how to kick the ball a little better but not an inner transformation, not a change. No man can do that. Only God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit of God in your heart can do that. That's why you're going to need to learn that, that word we had this morning is the word yield, amen? Yield, yield, yield. And boy, I'll tell you, he'll change your life. He'll make your head spin how fast he'll move you forward for himself. He'll open doors that you never thought would open for your life. But that's if you give yourself to him. If you hold yourself back, there is no direction. He's just saying, I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting for you to put your foot in the Jordan here. And we're not, you're not willing to do it. He says, you got my presence on your back, but you're not putting your foot in the water. Yeah. Amen? And you put your foot in the water, he is going to part that Jordan for you. He's going to open up opportunities for your life that you can become more of what God wants you to be and have that abundant life that's been planned for you from the foundation of this world. Amen? This chastisement is marked by love and goodness as well. Not only just the salvation, but the chastisement is. That's why we have, to, we have to actually base our chastisement of our children after the chastisement of our, of our God. It says in Hebrews 12, 6, it says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. You ever scourge your son? <laughs> I mean, wow, that's harsh. But he says, I'm doing it because I love you. Folks, if you're not scourging your children, if you're not disciplining your kids, if you're not straightening them out when they're sinning, you don't love them. I'm sorry, that's just scripture. You don't love them. You're lying to yourself. You're lying to your children. If you love them, you will deal with the sin in their life. Yeah. In our children's lives. We have to deal with it. And I know it's scary. And yes, you're afraid. Well, they won't like me anymore. Folks, you think you actually have them? If you've got to be concerned that you, they're walking out on you, you've already lost them. Yeah. You're fighting to get them back. That's what you need to do. And the Lord, many times as we wander into the, into the field and out into the bush and up into the mountains, we get caught in the crevices and, and the thorn bush. He comes after us and he, he wants us to return back. 
So I think the greatest deception we have as parents is think that our kids are actually with us when they're not with us because we're not dealing with their sin. They're just living in a state of broken fellowship close to you because they have nobody dealing with their sin. You know what I always think about? That the Lord left me in charge of my family. Do you think the Lord is going to step in my place? Do you think the Lord is going to somehow chastise my children for me? You know what he did? He gave me the responsibility. And he looks at me and says, I gave you in that place. Now, if you want me to do it, i got to pull you out of the way. And you don't want that. You need to deal with the sin. Deal with it. Stand up to it. If you're afraid of losing your kids, you've already lost them. Amen? You've already lost them. He loves those that he chastens. Please don't ever think that chastising your children is a sign of hate, like the world says. It's not. It's a sign of love. It's a sign of sacrifice on their behalf. It's it's you putting yourself to the back of the line, saying, I understand you may not like me, but this is for your own good. That's true love. Sacrificing yourself for your kids. But if you want to be their friends, I'm sorry, you'll never love them. If you want to maintain a friendship, no matter what, you're never going to love them. You'll love them when you're willing to die for them. And you're willing to have them turn on you. You'd be surprised, though, how they won't. Sometimes there's enough cords to their heart where they'll love you enough to come back. Amen? You'll never know unless you deal with it. So chastisement is good. It is a sign that he loves you. Just like the gate at salvation, there must be judgment to be salvation. There must be judgment to be a successful Christian life, to have the abundant life. Um, This chastisement is marked by loss and gain. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Just as the law, uh, just as solid as this law is uh, to our science, so is the law of reaping what you sow. It is so important to understand that. There's no getting past this. You are not going to beat this. It's like jumping off the roof and saying, I, oh, gravity won't take me down. <laughs> yes, it will. No matter how much you convince yourself that gravity is not going to take you down, when you jump off that roof, you're going down. Yeah. And these laws that are maybe invisible or that maybe require some faith for you to uh, enact in your personal life, they're just as real as the law of gravity. The law of reaping and sowing. Amen. The Bible says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life after everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, because it is hard. It takes it out of you, you know. You're fighting sin all the time. You're fighting garbage all the time. You're fighting it in your life. You're fighting in the life of your family. You're having to stand up and take some hits because of your faith for Christ. You go to the job site. You just want to do right, and people turn on you for no reason whatsoever. You're just because you get the hint of Jesus on you. The devil knows how to stir up people. Amen? And one of the things that can happen is you become weary. Weary and well-doing. What's the purpose anyways? The Lord says, don't become weary and well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. The due season, the season that's appointed, it's coming like the law of gravity. Amen? As we have therefore opportunity, let's do good unto all men, especially unto them 
who are of the household of faith. So this context is us right here today, doing good to one another. Folks, I encourage you to take note of people that are going through hard times, people that are losing jobs, or maybe they're, 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 they're sick, or they have some sort of uh, thing that happened, and you got to ask yourself, I wonder where they're getting their money from. I wonder where, where they're, if they got groceries this week. Do good to them. You know, and sometimes you'll ask them, oh, I'm okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, everybody's okay. But if you feel impressed by God, you know what you got to do is go help those people. And you know what? They, they're not going to hate you for dropping off a jug of milk or a loaf of bread or a couple of steaks or some hamburger or whatever you got. I mean, there's some things you got in your fridge you probably won't even touch that other people could be blessed with. Amen? And so you got to ask, talk to people about these things. You got to know. You got to ask them, how are you doing? How are things working with, because of what you've gone through? You know, do good to them because the Bible says you will reap what you sow. There's one uh, businessman, it's, it's not a Christian type of thing, but one of the, uh, the principles that he teaches is emotional investments. You know, you have to invest yourself in people to get a return. If you, don't, if you never invest yourself in people, chances are when the time comes where you need help, they may not be there for you. And each one of us need people to be there for us when the time comes. But we have to learn to invest in others. Invest in what they're going through. Even if it's just a couple of words or an encouragement or, or, or some groceries or, or you know, whatever it may be. I don't know. But we need to invest ourselves in others. And if we do that, what happens is it gets put into the bank and ultimately that bank pays back the interest. And we're not doing it for the interest, but that's just the byproduct. That's the law. That's the law of reaping and sowing. Amen? Things we lose when we fail God through disobedience. We lose the blessing of living in God's will. The Bible says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. What's God, God's purpose in you? To get you a good job, get you money? <laughs> What's God's purpose in you? His purpose is that he's working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The moment we allow sin and different things to take place in our life, we are totally thwarting the whole purpose of God in our lives. God's, the Holy Spirit's there, but there's nothing he can do. So I can't make them will. <clears throat> He's not going to twist your arm. But he does help you learn and grow so that you learn how to submit and do the will of God. Do it. Amen? That's all attributed to the work of God in your heart. Not a person, not the person sitting next to you, not the person that invited you to church. It's a work of God. Amen? That's why I don't take credit for that. If you came here because I invited you, I'd say, man, God's really working. Because it has nothing to do with humans. You cannot do that. Amen? But God will use you to do the work in their heart. And it's an amazing thing that God would use somebody like us for anything. We lose the blessing of a godly home. And we know that the Bible says, Thou shalt not bow thyself down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generations of them that hate me. You know what I've noticed? That even in Christian families, there's, there, there's stuff that's following the family because it's sin that's left unchecked when it could be dealt with, but they refuse to. And so the home is not in harmony. There's no peace in the home because the devil has put a lie in the heart. 
Amen? So important because we need to understand if we lose this, this muster time, this time before the gate where the Lord is inspecting us and chastising us and preparing us, if we don't give ourselves to that and see it as a blessing, we are going to lose the blessing of a godly home. And you need a godly home. So I can't, I can't control my wife or my husband. <laughs> no, but it's got to start somewhere. Bring Jesus in somewhere, amen? Start with you. Don't wait for somebody else to do right. You do right. And I'll guarantee if you can bring Jesus into that situation, some things are going to change. And you got to keep doing it. And don't give up. Don't be weary in well-doing. <clears throat> we see David lost his son and several other children because of his sin against Uriah and Bathsheba. Amnon defiled his sister Tamar. Absalom killed Amnon. Absalom rebelled against his father and was killed by David's captain. Adonijah exalted himself as king when he should, have not, should not have and was finally killed by Solomon. These are all the things that followed the father's disobedience. And God said it that day. He says, this is what's going to happen. He says, you, 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 <laughs> there, there's so many things that he pronounces against David in that, in that judgment. And all of them came to pass. And David, are you better than David? Do you feel you're better than him? I don't feel I'm better than him. So if God would bring David into that kind of judgment, don't you think that we can curse our homes as well? So let's learn from that. Let's confess these things. Let's deal with them. Third and fourth generations, I'm sorry. I don't want my grandchild and great-grandchild to pay the price for my neglect. But that's what's going to happen. That's spiritual warfare. It's because I'm not living in the truth and I'm not preaching truth and I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not accentuating truth. I'm not willing to pay the price for truth. It's when granddad stands up and is a man of truth that makes a difference in their son's lives and their grandson's lives and their great-grandson's lives. They'll look back. They won't know what kind of car you drove. They won't know what kind of house you lived in. They won't know what's in your bank account, but they'll know you were a man of God. Yeah. All the impact that'll make. Folks, don't let it be about money. Your money will burn. It's all going to be gone. The only thing you can bring with you is your testimony for God. Let that be the major thing. Then let the Lord take care of the riches. Let Him take care of the bills. Let Him take care of all those things. You just focus on being what God wants you to be. And let Him chastise you. Don't get bitter about the hard things of life. He's just trying to beat you into submission. Amen? He's trying to bring you to a place of blessing and righteousness and holiness. Let Him do it. Jeremiah begged the king, submit to God, submit to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is a servant of God. God sent him to you. You need to submit to him. And if you do, all will be well. But he didn't. He rebelled. He didn't like judgment. He liked to be on top. He liked to be the man in charge. And he lost his eyes. He lost his family. He lost his country. He lost his city. They lost their temple. They lost everything. It's not worth it. Submit to the hand of God on your life. Sure, there's things that are tough, and God allows it. Don't get angry and bitter about that. All you know as a child of God, all he is doing is making you better all the time. No matter what he's doing, you will be better. You will be better, you will be better, you will be better. But if you turn against his chastisement, you surely will not be better. Amen? That's the gate, that's the Mifkad gate of the present. That's the muster point today. Amen. Then we have finally the third. 
And that's the future Mifkat of the judgment seat of Christ. This is a muster point for sure. There's going to be no choice whether you show up for this one. We'll all be there, amen? 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. This place is appointed to all believers to meet God one day. It's an inescapable reality. It's a time of inspection. And every one of us will be there. And there'll be no excuses. Nothing we can say like we're down here, well, I can't do right because this, that, and the other. You're a thumb sucker. One day you're going to meet God and he's going to say, take that thumb out of your mouth. It's always been within your choice to do right. Amen. Maybe down here, believers like, your, like to hang around with you th- th- sucking your thumb. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 3.13 says this, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. So not just what we do. Say, oh, I did this and I did this. And say, well, Lord, the Lord says, well, let's see what you did. Let's see what constitute that work that you said you did. And you'll put the fire to it. And we'll see what's left. Amen? Oh, my, what an awesome time that's going to be. It's not going to be a time of partying, I'll tell you that. We're going to be eyes down saying, oh, Lord, have mercy on me. Oh, I wish I would have done more. Oh, I wish I would have just surrendered more. I wish I would have been faithful to the house of God. I wish I would have spent time in your word. All these things will flood your mind as you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. But it goes on to say, if any man's work abide, which he, with he, hath, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. So we know that the judgment of fire is God's judgment against the works that you've done. So it doesn't matter what I think about your works. It doesn't matter what you think about your works. All that matters is what God thinks about your works. I just say, if you're teaching a Sunday school class, do it as unto the Lord. Do it with love in your heart for Christ. If you're ushering here today, guys, you think that that's not important? You don't think Jesus Christ is going to look at you and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant? You did what you were supposed to do. Just do it with the right heart. Do it because you love it. Do it because you love the church. You want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. He'll put that fire to that work. he say, yeah, looking good to me. Amen. But we're doing it to be seen. We're doing it so that we become popular in the church. He'll put the fire to you. He says, oh, no, there's nothing left there. I can't reward you. You've just lost something. You've lost something. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. You're still saved, but your rewards are lost. You know, before you even breathe your first breath, that the Lord had a certain amount of rewards that he wanted for your life. He's already got them tallied up. He's got them right beside. He says, this is your pile. This is what I have for you and all the things that I have predetermined for you to do. And you know what? And as we are not faithful, he takes those things off and he gives one to another man. He puts it on a different pile. He says, because you're not being faithful where I've called you, then I've got to get somebody else to do that work. That's why I always say, folks, I understand there's people that are going to die and go to hell that have never heard. But you know, I'm going to tell you something. 
Don't think for one second that everything is based on what you do. Our God is far above you. That means if you're not willing to be what God wants you to be, He will raise up somebody that is. Because He loves people. And He's not going to hang His grace upon a sinner. He says, my grace is on me. Amen? But there's loss for you. So let the Lord guide you in your life to become what you need to be. Be faithful to the house of God. Serve where you are. I'll tell you this, every usher that does something, everybody that picks up a book and cleans something up, every time someone comes to Christ, the Lord says, yep, there's your reward. Whatever part you have here, you've been praying, you've been a part in some way, you are a part of that reward, amen? Fruit that may abound to your account. Your, your missions giving and the souls that are saved over the seas. He's got all these things lined up for you. Well, I just can't afford it anymore. Oh, really? And he takes the crown. And he gives it to someone else. If you can't help my missionary, I'll raise up somebody else that can. And I believe very much that God brings missionaries to us as Airdrie Baptist Church. There are certain missionaries that he'll bring to us that he won't even bring to other churches in the city. He'll know that this is tailor-made for you, Airdrie Baptist Church. These missionaries, I've tailor-made them for you so that you would understand them and you can get behind their work. Amen? I felt that so many times with certain missionaries, I knew we had to get behind certain people. Other people, not so much. It's not that I didn't care about them or or thought that somehow they're not worthy of it. it. They just weren't for us. That's also a part of God's plan. There's certain missionaries that God will bring into our life that he's going to say, I want you to be a real part of this. Maybe he'll want us to go together on an airplane and go visit them over there and be a part of that ministry in some way to help them and encourage them to make that ministry stronger in a real way. Amen? This time will be an open display of our works. Every man's work shall be made manifest. That means be made apparent, evident, known, to be plainly recognized, plainly recognized. No hiding anymore, amen? It's our works that will be judged by fire, not ourselves. It's our works. And the fire shall try every man's work. So where is the fire applied? To the work, not to you. Your fire, personal fire, was applied at the cross 2,000 years ago. There's no fire on you, but there is fire on your works. Amen? And that's totally based upon what you do in this self-judgment time. This time where you're allowing the chastisement of God to change you and make you into what God wants you to be. Uh, Letter B, it'll be an open, like you care what letter it is. (laughs) It'll be an open display of our motives as well. 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. You know, sometimes I look at people and they're, they're trying to judge people's motives. I say, you know what? Anytime I've tried that, I've usually ended up being wrong anyways. So the Bible says, judge nothing before the time. You don't know why people do what they do. And they may do it for the right or wrong reasons. It's really not something that you need to be concerned about. But the Bible says one day those counsels will be made manifest. will be left wide open. And we'll see exactly why they did or didn't do what they should have done. That's a real thing. Are you living by faith today? If you're living by faith and you believe this is going to happen, you believe that you're going to stand there, it's not too far away. It could be next minute. It could be in five minutes. I mean, I, I, I hesitate to give it a time. 
I, I hate to even say it could happen soon because that could somehow defers to a time delay. It just says it, it's, it's going to happen. could be this moment. Boy, you'll be glad you were in church tonight. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Bring to light, that means to give light, to shine, to enlighten, to illuminate, to render evident, to cause something to exist and thus come to light and become clear to all. Bring to light the hidden counsels of the heart. And I'm going to be done. I just wanted you to show, show you this. There's a few crowns that the Lord wants you to have. And you know something? That these crowns will be based upon your love for him. It's not just what you do. It's not just about conforming. It's not just about being, doing things that are Christian, you know, and so forth. Because I think that there's a lot of churches that do that. You know, people come and say, as long as you do this and go soul winning and tithe and so forth, you'll be right with God, you'll be fine. Not necessarily. I mean, you could tithe and go soul winning and still really end up with a lot of loss because it's not done right. The motivation is wrong. You've got the wrong master. You're loving something you ought not love. There's a, by the way, you can only serve one master. And, and through this all, you will love the one and hate the other. You know, and I try as a preacher always to preach Jesus Christ as our master. And as I do that, it's going to challenge your master. Whoever your master is will be challenged. And you'll either begin to love my master and begin to despise yours, or you will love yours and you'll begin to despise mine. And that's what happens in the services sometimes. When your heart gets sour, when you turn against the message, because it's challenging your master. It's causing you to challenge the ideas of why I'm doing what I'm doing and I try to make excuses as to why it's okay for me to make the decisions that I make when it's not yielding to the Lord. Amen? You just think about that. You make money your master, you're not going to love this church. You're not going to love the things of God because it's going it's to put you in a position. You're going to be put in a corner here. You're going to be challenged to find exactly who your master is. Some people, it'll dawn on them and they'll change. They'll say, wow, I was on the wrong road, <laughs> you know, and they'll change. But others, oh, I can't give that up. That dollar, that money, these things that I want, they're so important to me. They're all going to burn. The Bible says, with a, melt with a fervent heat. All the things on this earth will be burnt up and nothing left over. The only thing you will have is what Jesus gives you this day. <laughs> Amen. 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Yes. Loving his appearing. What do you think about when you think about Jesus coming? Are you happy about that? Are you ready for that? Are you ready right now to meet Jesus and look him in the eye? Do you, do you love that? If you don't love it, it's because you know there's something that he would find and make manifest that isn't right. <laughs> and so the Bible says you'd be ashamed at, him, at his coming. And so I just say what we need to do is make sure that we analyze our hearts so that, when he, that we love his appearing, so that there's nothing that would hinder us from looking into his eyes and saying, I want you, I, I want to meet you. And like the, the Apostle John, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. Yeah. Now we say that, but do we mean that? Love will motivate us to keep winning the lost. 1 Thessalonians 2.19, the Apostle Paul says, well, what is our hope or crown 
uh, or joy or crown of rejoicing, are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? So the people that you've won to Christ, the people that you've given out the gospel, and they've gotten saved, they're going to become your crown. You're going to meet them one day, it's going to be like looking at a crown. Amen? So you've got to love people. You've got to love the lost. I mean, you got to get over your attitude towards this stinking world and realize there's just some people that just don't know. There are evil people. There are Satan worshipers, and I'll gladly point them out, you know. But I know that there's some people that are just waiting to hear, and we have to love them enough to go. Amen? Philippians 4.1, he says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and longed for my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Amen? He looked at everybody that's in the church as his crown. He gave himself to that church. He planted that church. He says, all of you are my crown. To you, it's like putting on a crown on my head. He didn't want money. He didn't want all the glory. He just looked at you as, as important. Amen? Third thing is, love will cause us to endure tests faithfully. James 1.12, Blessed is a man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that what? Love him. Love. Love. What's love? Is it that gooey feeling you get? Oh, I just love you, Jesus. I just want to hug you. No, it's sacrifice. It's what he did on the cross for you. And you're bringing that back to him. You're bearing your cross. You're denying yourself. And you're saying, I want to give my life for you. And your love constrains me. And we thus judge if one died for all, then we're all dead. And we all ought to live for Christ. Amen? My, another one here is, love will cause us to die to our lusts and live to the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 9.24, it says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things, now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as certainly so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So there's a crown for us to keep our body right, keep our, God, our body in place. Uh, uh, it's a crown of, that's incorruptible. You know, that's why I tell people, you know, don't let your body always tell you what to do. There's times your body needs rest. There's times your body is sick. I understand that as well as anybody. But there's also many times where we're giving the body way too much leniency. We're giving it way too much power. We're allowing it to become master instead of slave. We're not subjecting, putting it to subjection. We're allowing it to dictate our spirit, our attitude, our love for people because of what we're going through in our bodies. Amen? Let's never let that happen. Our spirit uh, ought to just become stronger and more uh, full of love as, as we are being tested physically. Amen? Yeah. And we place that body into subjection. Number five is the last one. Is 1 Peter 5, 2 to 4. It says, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the odor, oversight thereof. So it's talking about uh, a pastoral role, feeding the flock. And it says, taking the oversight. The oversight, the word there is scopos. It's like a scope on a gun. It's saying, zero in there. Make sure that things are right in the house of God. 
make sure you deal with things in the house of God and, and, and how things are going because that's not what's going on today. Many people, sin is running rampant in churches. We can't let that happen here, guys. You've got to work with me on this, not against me, amen? But the Bible says I need to take it. Take it. Not just sit back and wait for it to hit me in the head, but I need to take the oversight. I need to be a part of that oversight process in the house of God. Then it goes on to say this, not by constraint, but willingly. Oh, do I have to? <laughs> it ought to be the will of my heart to be used in that way in this, in this church. It says, not for filthy lucre. It has nothing to do with what you, what you pay me or the benefits and so forth. I mean, paying me helps, <laughs> you know, but it's not going to be the reason why I'm here. Never has been in ministry, never will be. But of ready mind. Here's an important one. Neither is being lords over God's heritage. You know, this is where some pastors go off. They begin to start, they begin to start uh, nitpicking your life and micromanaging everything you do. You gotta, you gotta pass your your your, uh, your vacation time to the pastor, and so that's why I say, you want to tell me you're on vacation? I'll tell you why you do that, so that we can pray for you. But it's not that I have to know. It bothers me when I don't know where you are. It really does. But I'm not going to lord over you. You're God's heritage, and you have a place before the Lord God Almighty. And I don't want to get in between him and you. I'm here to feed the flock of God. I'm here to take the oversight of the house of God. But I can't micromanage your life. I have to deal with sin and I will. I don't enjoy it, but I will do it willingly. Because I know the result of that is having children and grandchildren in this church that will have a pure place to meet. And they won't have sin that they have to deal with and be corrupted by people that are within the church. That's why in Revelation it talks about Jezebels. You've got to deal with the Jezebels. You've got to deal with the Balaams. You've got to deal with the, the corrupt ones and the Cains and those that come in for the wrong motives. And, and I'm sorry, that's not popular, but folks, we've got to do that. I wish I didn't have to. I wish everybody would be just like you. <laughs> Amen. I just love the spirit of this church lately. Everybody really seems to be right. I hope it's true, but I can't see in your soul. That scope doesn't go that way. <laughs> Amen. That scope looks at actions. It looks at what, what's happening in people's lives in the house of God. We have to keep the church clean. Amen. But in your heart, that's only the Holy Spirit. Can I encourage you to just make sure your heart is right so you can maintain and continue to maintain that right spirit in this church? You know, that sour spirit, it, 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 it's noticed. Folks, there is not anybody that does not know. If you've got a sour spirit, they all know it. You can't hide that. It's visible. You're wearing it on your face. Amen? Amen. Same way that you know when somebody's got a right spirit. Say, boy, they got a sweet spirit. <laughs> There's others, boy, oh, they got a sour spirit. You know why that is? You're not walking with God. You're not talking with Him. You're not reading your Bible. You're not letting the, the truth change your heart. Folks, it's so important we, we maintain this here. It's going to come again. We're going to get a crop of people coming in that are going to try to hurt us. Don't think for a second. The Apostle Paul said, he says, I know that when I depart, grievous wolves shall enter in. And those that will come in that will be drawing away disciples after themselves. Be very careful. Can I just warn you on that? 
I'm not telling you to be paranoid or look for a demon behind every bush, but I'm just be careful of people when they try to draw you aside. They haven't submitted to the house of God. See, that's why membership is so important. You know that they've submitted to the doctrine. But if there's people here and they haven't submitted to the doctrine and they're pulling you aside, folks, you got to wonder because you don't know what they are yet. You don't understand that. And so you got to be careful. I'm not saying don't go for supper. I'm not saying don't go and try to spend some time to maybe win them over or uh, help them to grow. But please be careful. Because sometimes you don't even know it that you're being lulled to sleep or that you're being drawn into something that one day it's going to be wow and you're going to be right in the thick of it. Amen? Don't let it happen. Folks, when, when we deal with something, stand with the church. Stand with the church. Don't go behind the back and say, oh, they were wrong. Then find a church that you believe in. But we don't want that spirit here. We want a sweet spirit. We want people that are in one mind together. One spirit striving together for the faith of the gospel. Amen? But I promise I'm not going to micromanage your life. I don't want to lose my reward. I don't want to be a lord over God's heritage. I don't want to have to pick apart your life and tell you what to do every moment of the day. <laughs> but I'll preach, man. And if you need a strip torn out, I'll tear it out. Do you understand that? I'm not going to let sin get, get away in this church. I love people too much, and I'm willing to take the brunt of it. You just go and shoot. Shoot with all your might. I've got a God that's standing with me. He's proven that over and over again. Yeah. Be very careful, please. Stand with the house of God. Look around you at the people around you. Say, I love them enough to be right with God. I love them enough to stand with them, to believe the doctrine and give myself to it, and not have this critical attitude. Oh, such a poison in the church today. Amen. I want that reward. I don't know if I'll get it. But the Bible says we're supposed to not neither be lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. That means we don't lead by pushing, we lead by, by going forward. We're the first ones going, I wish I could do a better job at that. Sometimes saying, Lord, I wish I'd be a better soul winner. I wish I'd be a better prayer. I'd be a better <laughs> preacher, better all these things. So I could lead everybody truly in the right direction. He says, just let me keep whooping you up and we'll get you in shape, preacher. Amen. But that's my heart. I don't want to control your life. I do want to be an ensample. An ensample is a living example of what we ought to be. It's not easy. Because there's a lot of pressure on, on pastors and their families. Can I, can I just get that across to you tonight? If there's someone that's always under scrutiny, it's going to be my kids and me and my wife. And I found in every ministry I've been, I've been in, my wife takes more hits than I do. Don't let that happen, please. I mean, if there's one place I could lose my religion, that's it. Amen. Sometimes I talk to her. I said, dear, you know, I just want to go choke somebody. But she encourages me just to do it right. No, you just got to just stand back. Oh, you know, the, Lord, the devil wants me to get all fired up over these things. But folks, I'm, it's a real thing. And any pastor's kid knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's not easy, but sure, it, it makes some good people. If those kids will allow themselves to be pruned by God and allow that pressure to be applied, they'll end up to be good Christian people facing the fires of life. 
in a way that you never have to. Amen? But I say even though, don't, be, don't say, well, I'll be a part of that pruning process. I just encourage you to love them and help them. Amen? I don't need you to be the hammer. All right? All right, amen.